Welcome to Don't Die Sacramento. Join us as we misquote unfounded statistics, provide unsolicited clinical advice, and share colorful satire and our experiences in the treatment field. The Don't Die Podcast is being used without the permission of Bob Forrest and especially Mike Mart, who specifically asked us to change the name to Don't Die Sacramento so we could be called out on our bullshit. As always, you were right, Mike Mart. <laughs> so sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Don't Die Sacramento. <laughs> when has Mike Mart ever been right? <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, guys, welcome to the fucking show. Uh, you're joined by uh, your host, uh, this is Neil. And Rehab Tech Lee. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we decided before cutting the episode about an hour and a half ago that we needed to get a new intro song. Well, Lee decided, actually. Well, I heard the, um, I was listening to the Don't Die uh, Wisconsin guys. Uh, I was listening to their podcast and they had this intro that was just like so professional and it had this, uh, you know, disclaimer and how don't. You know, this is not, uh, you know, you're not getting advice from a doctor. And this is you don't die is used with permission from Bob Forrest. So we we decided we'd, we'd go in a completely different direction. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we did. I like it. I like the direction <laughs> because, uh, you know, here at Don't Die Sacramento, we only have one goal. And that's uh, for you to not die and have a, a laugh or two before you die. Yeah, <laughs> recovery kidding. all doesn't have doesn't have to be all doom and gloom all the time. So I mean, I think having a sense of humor is it. It's really what helps me get through the the job. Oh dear you know, God! Because yeah, it's 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 tough, man. Well, can, at times, you know. Well, I I will say the thing that gets me through this job is working with fucking amazing people. Um, yeah. Working with people that make me laugh. I mean, honestly, my cheeks hurt right now from laughing so much. Uh, from just yeah. getting this podcast set up for the night. That's some hilarious copy. That is good copy. That's for you, Mike Mart, because you're always right. <laughs> well, you certainly were this time. He was this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good times, man. Good times. Well, you know, I, what I wanted to bring up is this is exciting. Here in Sacramento, the don't die message is spreading. Is it now? Yeah. So check this out. I hope you're sitting down for this. I am. I went <laughs> to. An AA meeting last night. Uh huh. That's that's supposed to be a shock. Well, yeah, well. But anyways, I go to this meeting last night, and um, actually, I'll get into that in a little bit. What was really funny is, like typical alcoholics, they lost the key to the church, and were not able to go inside <laughs> and have the meeting. So we had to have everybody back their trucks up into a circle in the parking lot. Oh, that's awesome. And everybody sat in the beds of the trucks because we couldn't get into the church. That's cool though. See that I bet that I bet it forced a different kind of a meeting. It was a totally different vibe. It was really old school. Yeah. People were out there smoking cigarettes the whole time, puffing away on cigarettes during out the meeting and spitting. Oh yeah. I mean, there was this one really, really cute girl there who had like nine years. Who was wearing this, even though it was about fifty degrees outside, was wearing a little crop top with her little tummy showing. It was great. But anyways, what I'm saying is, at this meeting, the speaker was speaking. You know how he ended his his spiel? He said, "Don't, don't. don't die." Wow. He said, yeah, "I've heard this around." He said, "Just." 
Just don't die. I've heard this around. That's interesting. I've heard this around. Don't just don't die. And so then I spoke. I got called on, and I I ended it with mine, my slightly different version, which I said is don't die before you figure out the solution. Yeah. And I saw a bunch of people nod in their heads and like, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. good idea. Stay long enough to to figure out your this, you know, your solution, whatever works for you. But I was freaking tickled pink. I gotta say, I was really really stoked. I was, um, just that people are getting this. Message that shouldn't be a complex message, but for some reason, I mean. Well, it's good. It's good to be reminded that this disease can kill can kill you. You know, and not just alcohol, but just you know, addiction. Well, and I really, really, really needed this because I went directly from work, where I was working with a new client, an intake who walked into the house. She literally looked at the bed, turned around, and said, "I am going to discharge." I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the thread count. <laughs> No, the, there was the, the lobster was being served without butter that night. Mm-hmm. She no, had to, no, we had it flown in from Maine. She's like, nope, not good enough. Nope. Mm-mm. Is there prime rib with that? Or is, oh, this is just a lobster course? I'm sorry. Is there, oh, there is prime rib? Still not good enough. <laughs> You're going to give me eight milligrams of Suboxone? I need 16. Oh, my no, God. No, but anyway, she, uh, she basically, I asked her, you know, I started, you know, doing a little motivational interviewing with her, trying to find some dissonance rolling with her resistance and all can't that. stop won't stop rockefeller records <laughs> <laughs> well you know she straight up told me though is, is i said well why do you want to leave and she said well i want to go get some black i want to go do some heroin yeah of course she said so the plan is i'm going to go do heroin for the weekend and then i'm going to go back to treatment on monday right she said because there's no one else here and i don't want to be alone in this detox house well half that part of that story was was true which part, which part was that? The part where she wanted to go do heroin all weekend. <laughs> That's sapped, yeah. That's the part that was true, but about going back to treatment, I mean but it's all it's all it's all um pre contemplation and ambivalence. Well she and she had right? zero, was really sad too, is as I'm walking her through the house and I'm trying to, you know, talk her into staying and just to give it a night a chance and to get some meds and all this stuff. She turned to me and her hair was Real matted up. I mean, this is a young girl. I'm talking like 23 years old. Mm-hmm. You could tell that, you know, she had been really beautiful at some point. And she looked at me. She said, oh, man, you know, I was really looking forward to taking a shower. I haven't had running water in my house for two months. Wow. And she just, you know, I said, well, stop. Let's. Why don't you take a shower? I said, let me get you some food. I tried filling up her one of her bags with a bunch. I had a bunch of... Uh, granola bars in my desk and i was going to give her some food to take with her she didn't want any of it Uh uh-huh she didn't take a damn thing with her she didn't stop to take a shower she was just adamant that she needed to get out of the facility as fast as possible i wonder what like why she came down to begin with like why did she even consider an intake if it was like her Uh, and she had a random guy drive her to the facility and so she and she who didn't have a phone just some heroin junkie she knew yeah who drove her there and then she realized I said, oh, he took my car, and I have no way of getting in contact with him. So my car has now been stolen. Oh, oh, it was just it was just bad news bears. But anyways, I mean, I had this horrible, and I, I told her, I said, you know, my worries, you might die. I I actually gave her don't die advice. I applied in life. I said, you know what? If you're gonna leave, I said you're gonna go use. I said please don't use alone. She yeah. and she turned to me. And she said, I can't. I'm too poor. I, I can't. can't. Like I can't use. 
No, yeah, she said, the only way I'm going to be able to use is if I'm with other people. I can't get it on my own. Uh-huh. And then I said, well, you know, be real careful. I said, because you could get some bad dope right now, and you could overdose. And she said, well, I don't shoot. I just smoke it or and snort it. And I said, well, you can absolutely mm-hmm. overdose. Apparently she hasn't inter- been introduced to um, fentanyl yet. Not yet. Yeah. Pro- maybe right it's now. Like, it's been about 24 hours. Well... It was real sad. So anyways, after yeah. that experience, so after this bullshit at work, I uh, needed to go get my head right. So I actually went and picked up a sponsee. Believe it or not, I agreed to sponsor this kid, try to take him through the steps. He knows that I'm a substance abuse counselor, so he's trying to cling to me. And I told him, here's the deal, buddy. I'm just taking you through the steps. Yeah. I am not your therapist. Just like just like in the don't die disclaimer, we're, we're not going to give you unsolicited <laughs> clinical advice. <laughs> and even he's soliciting, he's yeah. asking for yeah. advice. Yeah. But fuck that. No. I mean, it's weird though cuz I can be so different from the guy that I'm sponsoring versus the clients I work with all day. So different. Yeah, absolutely. And that's good. Cuz you know it's funny though is with the clients I um I got called out really hard today. Really? Because the clients know that I am a firm. I I, I talk a lot of shit about the 12 steps. I really do. But I quote the 12 steps in the book all the time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, for somebody who doesn't believe in the 12 steps, you really quote it quite often. Yeah, but you never you never said you don't believe in it. No, I I haven't. I just have disdain and some problems with. So the thing is, I don't have problems with necessarily the 12 steps i actually like to talk about the principles behind each step and the reasons why psychologically they're effective yeah um i have more of problems with people who go through aa and like act like they are a god and a guru and need to have their disciples follow them mainly sponsors and you know people who are uh, i don't know have you ever heard of there's like like it's called like the pacific group or the atlantic group they're like subsets like cults within aa those are what i have problems with no i'm not aware of that oh god it's ugly nasty stuff do they wear suits they yes one of those kind of yes so they're they the suit wearing suits that's where it comes from the suit wearing oh, man. the suit wearing and they all start off their speeches the same way they always say hi my name's friend i'm an alcoholic um this is my sobriety date is 4-22-68, I have a sponsor who knows he's my sponsor. And I don't know if you've heard someone, oh, wow. they start off their speech. They started off exactly the same way. Those are they disciples. Well, I mean, yeah, big. This just in. Alcoholics with control issues. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, you think so? Yeah. It's, I mean, a lot. I don't know. Is that something that's more common than not? With uh, with addicts, and why do you think that is? If that's the case, what do you think? Control issues. Yeah, having the feeling, the need to um, to control to control things. I got some theories on that that I don't know. I want to hear your. So I mean, I would ascertain that with an addict, you're you're wanting to compensate for things that you don't have, right? So when you have an, an active addiction that's going, something that you do not have is control. You don't have control over how your life is going. So what you can control is you can control uh, how much, how many, what drugs you're taking or what places you put yourself in. So it's like someone who has 
like an eating disorder, right? They the one thing that they can control is that the food they're putting in. So many other life aspects of their life are out of control. So they try to control something else. I mean, what do you yeah, think? I mean, that's a big yeah. I I would tend to agree. Um, and but what do you so when the addiction is arrested uh-huh. and that that behavior still exists, then what do we call that? Well, if you're a fucking big book thumper, you know what you would say that is? You would call that untreated alcoholism. Uh, If you come from a clinical background and you actually do a little psychological research, what you just say is that's going to be unresolved trauma. That is going to be, I mean, a whole myriad of other issues. But if you just lump it into the 12-step world, they're going to say, oh, that's because you're not... um, that's because you didn't do a thorough fourth step. Right, yeah, because they're going to talk about things we have in the 12-step world. Um, we have, they have uh, their own language, their own vocabulary and way of talking about things. So yeah, and I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt right now. Here's yeah. the deal. The, twel- the 12 steps are only effective for one reason, and it has nothing to do with the 12 steps, has nothing to do with alcohol. It has n- All it has to do with is... It has to do with connection and building a connection to other people and being part of something greater than you has nothing to do with anything but that. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And if it's through AA, if it's through uh, refuge recovery, if it's through your church group, if it's through you know a group of people that like together and watch gay pornography and jack off together but not do drugs and that's the group you're connected to, then great. Yeah, I mean that's what I, I mean, firmly believe. I think it works best when it does that, but I see, I've, I, I feel like I see a lot of cases where um, people are sober and they're working a program, but they're not really connected. You know, they're still if they're still, I don't know, man. If I'm still trying to control you or your program, or I'm judging you on how you work your program or how many meetings you go to. Or how many sponsees you have, or don't, sure. or don't have. Am I really connected? Or am, am no. I saying I'm not saying that we're this? I'm saying we're different. I'm saying this is how I do things, or this is how I should do things. You should do things this way. I don't know. I don't look at that. So I feel like they can be connected, but not. Maybe there's different levels of, of connection. Well, you know what you need to do? What you need to do is sit down and shut up and do what I did. Need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Go to 900 meetings? Yeah. You need to go to 300. You need to be sober for a year and we'll buy you a motorcycle. 2,000 sponsees. If you ain't lots, you, ain't, you still got your watch, you ain't sick enough to be here. Yeah, exactly. Fuck that. I don't know you. You don't know yeah. me. I don't know what you need. And there's plenty of people that, um, you know, for every person that stayed in, in the rooms. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, Neil. I'm not trying to bash the, the, the program at all or any mm-hmm. of the 12-step programs because they, they, have, they are saving lives. They do save lives and they have worked. But what I'm saying is that for every person that's in the program, and still sober, there's somebody that's left the program and found a different way to stay sober. Well, and can I just back up? And we don't even have statistics. Like, there are no statistics to show how many people go into AA and then end up in smart recovery or just going to church or 
just fucking saying no, you know, and you know, maybe Thank working you, Nancy this Reagan. Working this st- no, but seriously, just saying no, I'm I'm just done. I'm done and this doesn't work for anymore. And maybe uh, I'm practicing these other, you know, principles and ideas. You know, I'm doing an inventory. I'm doing the things that I've learned um, through, uh, you know, different forms of spiritual guidance and knowledge, um, some of which could be the big book, some of which could be from, from other things. And you take and you make a toolkit for yourself. Sure. That, that works. Emo- and maybe emotional you, first aid. Maybe you go to meetings all the time. Maybe you just go once once in a while. It doesn't... It's not going to dictate... Well, I don't think it's necessarily going to dictate whether or not you stay sober or not. When I think was the it, last it, time you went to a meeting, Lee? It really depends on the individual. Did I wasn't with a client? Yeah. Um, it may have been about a month or two. But I can you want you want to hear something crazy? Like honestly, I feel better now than I felt when I was going to meetings. Um, you know, once a week or a couple times or whatever, it, really? however number of meetings. Yeah, and I wasn't happy. The meetings I was going to, I didn't feel connected. I wasn't feeling connected to the the people that were there. You know, and I was moving around in different meetings, and I couldn't. I just have. I know there's meetings out there. There's that I click in where I really feel like I have more in common with um, so the people that are there in terms of how they think mm-hmm. and how they speak and how they talk about recovery and their solutions and what they do. And then there's other meetings I go to where I just, I just, don't, I just don't feel it. I always feel better walking out the door than I did coming in. And it feels good to be in a room with um, other addicts and knowing that like a lot of times I feel safe there and I feel like, okay, I'm not going to get judged per se. You know, if I just sit there and, uh, well, obviously if I just sit there and nod my head and don't, but if I really share my point of view, am I going to get judged? I don't know. Maybe, you know, like it, it, it does happen. And last time I was at a meeting, I said, you know what, I'm going through a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, I got this happened, that happened, this happened, had to put my dog down, sleeping in the back of my truck, and all the shit that was going on at the time, which you knew was going on with me, Neil. Yeah. And, um, you know, people were coming up to me, and they were scared. You know, I could tell they were scared that I was going to relapse. And I don't know if it has to do with me not being, I don't think I was a low-bottom alcoholic addict. I think I was more of a higher-bottom. I didn't end up going to treatment to get sober um, you know, I do have two years now, which is, which is good. It seems like a long time and it do, in some ways, and it doesn't seem like a long time in other ways, but, um, yeah, I can identify with that. You know, it's just like, I don't feel, I have no desire. I don't have any cravings. Do I still have thoughts of using? Well, of course, you know, you see a fucking, you see a fucking beer commercial and they're drinking beer and you know what beer tastes like and you've tasted a hundred times. It's like if I see somebody drink Pepsi or eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, I'm not doing that either. But when I see it, I get a muscle memory. Uh, there's something in my good. brain that clicks that goes, you know what? I remember what that was like. But you know what I realized, Neil? I'm mm. Actually, part of uh, what keeps me sober and what's helped keep me sober is I was using um, a technique, that uh, a clinical technique called mm. aversion therapy. Tell me. And well, we share. I shared this with you in. Uh, it's on one of the other podcasts we were talking about. I an aversion therapy. It was like a form of it where 
they'll tell you when you're doing one, you're doing uh, a behavior or a thing that, um, and specifically with addiction, they'll have you associate a real negative experience or a negative thing sure. with that thing that used to give you a positive result, like yeah. drinking or using. And what I do is I do, I was doing a version of that. When I start to have cravings, I do something where it's kind of like play the tape all the way through, but I don't even have to play it all the way through. I just play it through the first part of the experience and then the second part where it's like, I feel good, now I don't feel good, and now I have a hangover. Or I feel I feel high, now I don't feel high, now I feel burnt out. Or Because with me, with drugs and alcohol, there's just a small window where it's good. And after that, it's not good. I don't really... It's it doesn't really do anything for me anymore, and so I don't. Do you have? I don't want to go back. Do you have using dreams ever anymore? Not that often, no. But I have thoughts. I was watching um, this show. I started watching this um, uh, documentary two nights ago on called uh, Freeway, about Freeway Rick Ross. Mm. Yeah, and dude, they were showing big piles of coke and and crack, and I was dabbling, and that wasn't really my substance of uh, you know preference. I won't say drug of choice because yeah, substance be, of abuse. But I'll is say the term. Yeah. substance of abuse. Um, but I did, I did abuse it in sort of like small doses enough to develop a craving. Mm-hmm. Where when I stopped, I craved it, and I experienced that phenomenon. Uh, you know, I'd experienced the craving phenomenon with other things, like with weed and with alcohol. But, um, and I started to like really kind of crave it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was remembering that first minute, 30 seconds, or minute when you take a big, juicy hit from a crack pipe. <laughs> and that coke just hits you, and you're just high as fuck, and your bell is just rung. And there's a certain experience that you will only have from hitting a crack pipe. Like yeah, there's never, nothing else. Hitting a meth pipe doesn't do that for you. I've never shot. Uh, you know, I've never shot drugs. What about so snorting a big, a big no, pile? Different. Really? Different. It's totally different. I used to love so much um, chopping up and putting an enormous pile of powder on the table. To, and snorting it to the point that I would get like, you know, like a reverse brain freeze. Kind of like if you yeah. eat like a... If you eat ice cream really quick and your brain goes, mm, like you get that brain freeze, I would get that same thing from snorting an enormous line of, of opiates, like enormous Ooh, pile of oxys. Yeah, I've never done that either. I've only <sighs> snorted coke, and I think I snorted heroin maybe once. I never would could I never could do enough coke, I because I, coke used to just make me so nervous and so anxious yeah. that I would always be afraid I was gonna blow, I was gonna, my heart was gonna explode. Yeah, and I'd have to drink a lot. If you drink a lot of booze while you're oh, doing really? coke, it levels it off, so you get you can get the euphoric effect and a, li- and a little bit of the wire from the coke, but it counters some of the uncomfortable feelings that go See, along with the it. The only way I could do coke is I always had my Apple Watch yeah. on, and I would use the heart rate monitor function. I would be staring at it about checking my heart rate every 45 yeah. seconds. Um, and now you're poly addicted because you're doing <laughs> yeah because you're doing. In five minutes, you'll be poly addicted because oh. you're doing your 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 you end up chasing your tail. You try to you know you do the coke, you're feeling good, but you're feeling a little too intense, so you you drink a little bit to level it off, and then you drink you know and so then but then you keep drinking, 
and then the coke high levels off some more and then so you do more eventually and it's just like you keep bumping yourself around trying to get back to that sweet spot that was right at the beginning of of the high i never would get a sweet spot i have i have some clear clear memories of i would i would snort cocaine until my nose was so swollen shut that i literally could not snort any more cocaine that night i remember many many a times driving to cvs or walgreens at two three four o'clock in the morning to go buy nose strips like breathe uh-huh. right strips yeah and try and tape my nostrils open or or getting flonase and pumping it up my nose just praying that i could open up my nose because yeah. in all retrospect i think i've realized what it was is that my my dealer used to sell what he called uppers and lowers and uppers were like it was like 180 bucks for like an eight ball and the lowers would be like a buck 40. I realized years later that when he, w- I would buy the quote lowers, all that really was, I think he was just selling me crack. Really? Yeah. But you can't snort. It's not water soluble. Well, that was the problem. I would then have to get a razor blade and chop it. <laughs> like trying, I've later learned actually you can, uh, you can trans, if you use, I think it's lemon juice, you can actually. You can like unprocess crack, but I it used to be like a yeah, but that's only to sh- then you have to shoot it. Oh God! It pulls it. Yeah, it it d it, it makes it water soluble, and the reason for making it water soluble is so you can um you can uh, heat it up and uh, and then slam it. So the coke would be like waxy. I clearly remember it being like a waxy like substance. If this yeah, makes sense, yeah, it gets sense. tacky. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. It's pasty. It's a paste when it's in its pure form. I think it's a paste, and then it dries out and gets. I never got like good powder. It was fucking no. terrible. Well, see, all you had to do when your nose got swollen shut, all you had to do is stay home and cook some crack. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what I could have done. Yeah, you could have. Damn. It's a good thing you didn't because no. it's way more addictive. But would... no, but my my point with the whole thing with with the doing it was like I was having these weird cravings it was it was pretty strong they kept and they kept cutting back to these big piles of coke and then it would cut back to just interviews and like every time it cut back like i don't know my brain was and it would go through that i was remembering what it felt like for that high and then my brain remembered how that sick feeling that i got right afterwards because sometimes you'd want to throw up because it was so strong like it would hit me so strong and like it would kind of make you feel nauseous but you're super high but you're nauseous and then like um i'll be honest right now i'm having like severe cocaine cravings. see there you go that's addiction for you baby it never leaves <laughs> it's it like never. years and years later i haven't probably done cocaine in f- over five maybe six years i just thought about pizza i can smell pizza right now <laughs> <laughs> that's addiction pizza, right there I'm baby I'm on this diet where I have no sugar and no grains thanks benito torich i know uh, we just went out to a freaking spectacular uh, we went to this uh, awesome burger place called Burgers and Brews, kick-ass uh, brew house. Right, li- I mean, literally, what is that, Lee, from my apartment? A quarter mile, eighth of a mile? Yeah, 100 yards, maybe. 100 yards. And we so, go in there. I see Lee get this incredible bacon. Was it a bacon cheeseburger? It was. Bacon cheeseburger comes on over with onion rings, extra crispy. What do I see Lee do? I First, I see him <laughs> take off the bun, this big, beautiful buttered bun. Then I see, <laughs> see him take off the tomatoes. <laughs> well, the tomato wasn't that good, and it went, raw onion was touching it, and I can't do. I might have eaten the tomato, but not with raw. Onion. Not with the raw. No, so what do I look over, and Lee has 
has this beautiful burger has been deconstructed to a single hamburger patty. Wrapped in lettuce. Wrapped in lettuce. With the cheese and the bacon. Oh. But I had that. But I enjoyed it with the onion rings, even though that was a little bit of a variation from my. Uh, the the uh, the onion rings were definitely battered in flour, and uh, yeah, uh oh, I'm only really supposed to eat stuff that's battered and like, um, like, almond flour or coconut flour would be something that helps keep your body in ketosis because it's low on the carb index. Can you imagine what a spectacular time it would be right now to be an almond farmer? I've thought about that quite often. Why, I th- what's happening with almonds? Well, think about it. So, like, five, ten years ago, everybody was all about soy. Like, you'd have uh, soy milk, you'd have so- yeah, soy, 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 like, soy. There's, no, there's nothing there. Yeah. No one. Uh, do you know anyone who fucking drinks soy milk now? I don't think no. so. Who, what does everyone drink? Almond milk. Everything is almond. I have in my cabinet here, I've got almond butter. Which, yeah. I've got almond butter granola bars, my favorite snack on the planet. If you like this podcast and you want it to keep going, send me the Nature Valley Almond Butter Biscuits. They come in a five pack from Safeway. (laughs) Send me. Almond Butter Biscuits. Oh, they're the most incredible I can eat almond butter, but it can't have sugar in it. But the... um, yeah, the uh, the the almond milk stuff I originally thought was good, but if you look at it, it's got a bunch of additives to it. So well, you gotta I'm watch sure. out for that. I like, just don't. I just don't do milk. I just can't. I, I'm really trying no to. Need f- to. I phase. I've phased away from a, a lot of dairy. It's too much sugar. The dairy. The dairy part's good for you, but you want to go with. Um, according to what I'm learning about nutrition from uh, my go-to guy now, which, like I said. Uh, is uh, Vinny Tortorich. Yes. Uh, he wrote a book called um, Fitness Confidential. I, I found out about him through listening to uh, some of the uh, Dr. Drew's podcasts. And um, Vinny B, well, he, he had uh, leukemia and he changed his diet and it just changed, it just changed everything. Like his, all his, you know, his blood work's always good, his cholesterol's low and he eats. His diet's very high in fat and high in protein, but he also eats a lot of a lot of vegetables, not a lot of fruits, but um, whole uh, cheeses, whole fats, whole real foods, food, real food, whole foods, no low fat, like low fat anything, not not good. If you're gonna drink, you know, like heavy whipping cream in your coffee, some coconut oil, maybe a little little ta- a little pad of uh, grass fed butter. Loaded with uh, MCTs, medium chain triglycerides, which actually help your body. Um, it encourages your body to, to burn fat. And then what happens is your body learns how to convert fat into glucose as opposed to taking grains and carbs and converting them into glucose because you need glucose. And what does your brain need, Neil? Your brain has a lot of collagen and fat in it. It needs fat. Mm. Mm. Probably. Yeah, it does. <laughs> So I'm. I mean, I would venture to say that I just had a meeting with a nutritionist at the gym. Uh huh. And so a couple of people I know were with me there, and this one girl I know, Christy, who's the most unbelievably in shape woman I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and she asked a really great question to the nutritionist. She said, "Hey, here's the deal. I've heard that it's bad at night to eat a big meal and then go to bed." I've heard that that's you know helps put you know calories in body. Is it bad? Is there a certain time at night that I should not be eating? And the nutritionist looked back, like she was fucking insane. <laughs> and the nutritionist said, "Well, 
the only thing is is you don't want to be eating such a big meal that you're getting heartburn. She said, yeah, you know, but she said it's it's just calories. She said, here's the deal. This here's how you lose weight. Okay, you, t- you take in less calories than you burn. That's yeah. it. That's you burn a- more calories than you take in. That's it. It's simple math. I swear, I attest to it. That's it. That is that that is one way, but um, that goes against what that goes against uh, my my what uh, the diet I'm following. Well, that is the he way. says calorie calories in calories out is a is a myth. It is not it's a, a bad myth. model. It is it is numerical science. Because if your body's not getting enough calories, then what's it going to burn? Oh my goodness, Mike Mart! I've got, we've got our own Mike Mart situation. What's it, it going to burn? What happens when it runs out of fat to burn? What about these people that have low body mass that are eating that are doing uh, calories in, calories out? Either you're gonna, how can your body ever get exactly the perfect amount, exactly, you know, the amount of calories it needs? It's gonna get a little bit too much or a little bit. So in order to determine that, so that's I'm glad you bring this this up. Oh God. Okay. So this last week, I actually had. I did I did a scan with this company here called Bodymap 360. And what they actually did is I got a full analysis done of my body which gave me what my RMR is or what my uh, resting metabolism rate is. So essentially here's the deal. What this does is this goes through and does a scan that tells you exactly what is the amount of calories that your body needs to survive each day? Mm-hmm. And it came came up with me for, with my exact actual number. Mm-hmm. Most people just base it off of some you know random it's statistic. A range, a range, yeah, saying oh, it's roughly eighteen hundred or two thousand calories right. or some fucking thing. Well, they did this scan on me, which actually comes through, and I was able to find out that my body burns one thousand eight hundred and seventy nine calories per day regularly just resting mm-hmm. functioning like if i was just laying in bed all day right that's what it's going to do and this does it through it's called a dual x-ray absorbance from well Ryan. i'm going to tell you that there's lots of people that have done the calories in calories out thing and they still put on weight and they can't lose weight and what i've done is i didn't change anything i okay. haven't changed anything none of my habits except the foods that I eat. I don't count calories. I don't count meals. I just only eat foods off a list. There's a list of foods that I allow myself to eat that are all low on the carb index, um, whole good fats, mm-hmm. and um, you know whole whole dairy. You don't want to eat a ton of whole dairy, but enough. And th- this is what I think. You know when I think you should eat mm. is when you're hungry. Oh, and you should drink water mm. when you're thirsty. I don't think there's any amount. And if you're hungry all the time, you're not eating the right food. What if we apply this to drugs and alcohol? What if I am hungry, <laughs> hungry for some cocaine or well, thirsty for some vodka? If you're putting a substance in your body that's not satiating you, you're putting the wrong substance in your body. Because oh. when you're eating a proper diet, you don't you're not hungry all the time it's like if you just eat a bunch of carbs you can never get enough that's why people eat yeah. they eat a whole bag of that's why one's not enough you know and they eat the whole bag it's cuz it's true <laughs> it's true yeah you just want to it 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 doesn't trigger it doesn't release it's a it's hormones there's a um there's what what is it called now i can't think of it now that i was going to say it there's a hormone that gets released um in your body to tell your brain 
that it's you okay. Just misquote the uh, unfounded statistic. That you are, yeah. That you. That's what I'm. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> that you're full. It's called oh. epitone. I think it's called epitone. Epa. Peptone. Peptone. Is it peptone? I think it's peptone. And peptin or peptone. Uh, peptin. Well, what is it? It's uh... peptin. Anyways, what carbs don't release that chemical in your body, so you could just eat. You could just be full like a like a freaking. It's leptin. Leptin. There it is. It's leptin. See, and that's why you look shit up. And yes, and but when you eat fats and proteins leptin does get released and it will tell you that you're full and and you get hungry hungry again go ahead and eat if you're if you're the diet i'm trying to do it's keeping it's you you don't it encourages your body to get into ketosis but you don't it's not a ketosis diet your body does not have to stay there in fact with with most people um, probably getting being in ketosis all the time is not going to be great for them because no, they can cause all sorts of nasty well, side effects. That's because they're not getting the right. Um, they they lose electrolytes. Wasn't that can't can't somebody who's doing that for a long time can that affect your your like breath really heavily? I feel like I don't know. There's this guy. There's this other guy. I just heard on. Um, one of uh, well, it was on Vinny's podcast actually. This doctor, he's eaten and he's studied nutrition his whole life. He's one of the strongest guys in the world. He wins all these weightlifting competitions. He's eaten nothing but meat for the last year. What? A one year straight. <laughs> really? He's doing experiments. Nothing but meat. Everything's perfect in his body. All his blood work. He doesn't mm. have scurvy. He's got because when you change your diet your body starts requiring less. So his thing is your his body needs less vitamin C and um because of the way the metabolism changes and, and whatnot. But really that's fucking crazy. I, I don't have enough technical background to talk about it um, you know, I, in an authoritative way. But what I what I do know about ketosis is that um it does make you dump a lot of water and you dump a lot of electrolytes. So you've got to replenish your electrolytes. You need uh, a lot more salt than most people intake in their normal diet and you need a lot more potassium and magnesium, which you can get from um, different foods like... Oh, dude, I need more magnesium. Whole nuts, so whole nuts spinach, um, avocados and things like that are are high and uh, you can get your electrolytes from that. You don't have to take in supplements, bad supplements, no good. Whole foods always better. Like mother nature provides everything we need. Can I tell you how fascinating it is that we do a drug and addiction podcast yet? We always end up talking about other subjects that I'm, I'm, I'm brilliantly just incredibly interested in our, our, our breadth of knowledge about them. Hormones, chemicals. We're talking about how we feel. Food plays a big role. In Shit, that's true. How we, how we feel and uh, can manifest itself in compulsive behavior and depression and all the same things that uh, drug addiction can, uh, can do. Well, I mean, how many people do you see that when they first get sober that they gain a tremendous, not just the weight that, you know, somebody gains to just, you know, get back to a healthy level, but they get compulsive about their diet and when they're eating. Raise his hand right here. That's why I'm in this diet. That's mm. the primary reason because I was 
getting tons. And here's a prime example, Neil. I was busting my ass in the uh, when I before I started working before a year ago when I started working uh, in treatment. I was working in a Safeway deli. I was washing dishes, hauling boxes. Like literally, I was sweating and burning calories. The entire time I was there, I did not sit down. There was no, you didn't sit. You were moving yeah. and cooking and doing. And I guarantee you that, I mean, I was more active than I'd been in years. And I could not lose weight. Really? And I wasn't eating. I was not overeating. I wasn't eating a ton of sugar or sweets or anything. But I was I was eating food that was just making me fat. I was holding on to weight. I was eating oatmeal. I would take like a, you know, I thought my body needed potassium. Bananas are a good source of potassium. They're also super high in carbohydrates. And I would take like a a bowl of oatmeal and chop up a banana and put it in it and eat like a big bowl of oatmeal before I went to work, thinking that my body was going to use these carbs and and burn them. And then, um, you know, I would eat a smaller dinner and then maybe eat a little snack when I got home. It's just like, it just wasn't working. And then I tried, I tried the, I tried the calorie in, calorie out thing, and it just didn't, it just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. See, that's I had the opposite experience. I, I and when I first got sober, I gained probably 50, 50 pounds mm-hmm. easily over the course of uh, probably a year, year and a half. And I, I last year I lost all of it if and more by completely changing my diet just counting calories in calories out uh and exercising a tremendous amount that's when i got into spinning that's when i got into running um but i just tracked what i ate did i eat carbs yes but a a limited amount i will tell you that for the probably for six months i didn't buy bread six i mean i didn't buy bread i didn't i mean nothing i didn't do anything like that i just Mm -hmm. strictly it was like it was hard to maintain though I was eating like chicken, vegetables, a lot of fish, um, things that were super high in protein, uh, very low carbs, mm-hmm. and I, 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 that's what I did. But was there times when I would cheat and go to like McDonald's or something? Or I mean, not Mc, I hate McDonald's, but you know, Taco Bell every once in a while. Yes, but I would track the amount of calories. Like I went fuck. Honestly, I went to Taco Bell last night, and I'm in the middle of like a really intense training cycle that I'm doing, but. I tracked and last night at Taco Bell, I can tell you because I have it here on my phone exactly how many calories I took in and what I had. So last night I had this was heavy. Wow. Okay, <laughs> Girl, this is bad news. Wait a minute. Yeah, wait a second. So for dinner last night, yeah, I had nine hundred. Wait a minute, I didn't look at the second screen of my <laughs> statistics. <laughs> so I did have nine hundred calories in my dinner with a Crunchwrap Supreme at five hundred thirty calories yeah. and a chicken enchilada burrito at three hundred seventy. But here's the thing. Before work at 7 o'clock, I burned 404 calories doing freaking CrossFit for an hour. So, you know what? For the, for the day, I only had... My budget was 1,785 calories. Um, I consumed 1,675, but I burned, you know, 500 in exercise. So, I was still yeah. under... I mean, I only had net 700 calories for the day. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's things you can... Everybody's... A little different, you know. They say that there's blood, you know, there's differences like depending on our blood type. Um, some people need more iron than others, and some people are are going to be prone to needing more like 
meat or protein in their diet or whatever. And um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could send. There's companies out there now that you can send your, you know, you can swab yourself and send your your spit out and get your DNA analyzed, and oh, they'll tell you exactly the type of diet you're supposed to be eating but, for your body. Well, it's funny you say that. The company, Lose It, the company that I, I track my stuff with, they offer that. Yeah. For $49, you can send them a swab. But I'm not sending anyone a swab my DNA. Watch. You know how we were always getting notifications yes. that your credit information has been lost and stolen by hackers? Yeah. What the fuck do people think is going to happen with their DNA information to uh, 23andMe and Ancestry.com? What's next? Barcode tattoos? I, yeah. yeah. I know. It's, it is. It's... Uh, yeah, there's well, no and way. And then some, some, some renowned scientist comes out and they find a, like a, like um, a way to determine, you know, cr- criminally sociopathic behavior if you have a certain DNA, and they just round you all up <laughs> like Minority <laughs> Report or something like that, you know. Dude, I was watching some crazy documentary. Like my YouTube account right now has got some just. I don't know what in the world YouTube must think about me because the things it recommends for me. YouTube must think about me. Oh, my God. It was recommending for me last night. It was a documentary on psychopaths. It was called Psychopathy. Mm -hmm. It was recommending a look inside Broadmoor, Britain's most dangerous psychiatric hostel, Mm -hmm. Hitler's family, a, a a view into... Uh, what was it called? Escape from Auschwitz. Pred- predicative uh, text engines. You know, I don't know, man. I'm going to encourage you to do an exercise of an, R- an REBT, a, a rabbit exercise. <laughs> oh, really? And uh, analyze these and see if these are rational, rational fears or irrational fears. <laughs> I think you're all right, but you do have a dark side, but we all do. And so what? So really, so just because I watched, uh, you know, a documentary on A, B, or C, or maybe I just watched the trailer, so now you can predict what you think I'm, I'm going to want. Oh, speaking of A, B, and C, maybe I should walk you through a little dialectical behavioral therapy exercise, a little DBT exercise, the ABC. <laughs> Next on on this episode of What Would Marsha Do? <laughs> that was a Marsha Linehan reference. Uh, right? She's the inventor of DBT. Oh, wow. I see that one right over my head. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I was, you know, damn, I can't even do that with you anymore. Now I feel stupid. <laughs> no, do it. I don't know. <laughs> I know a, a bit. I have a broad, sort of a broad <laughs> idea, an overview of, of DBT. I know things about it, and I know why it was created and why she created it. Really? But um, Which is a really interesting story, but... Um, yeah. Well, no, there's just, but I don't know the ins there's, and outs. So there's just one basic thing I do. I have done if I get asked to throw get thrown into a group, mm-hmm. and I've many times been had my clinical supervisor has been like, "All right, dude, I need you to go in there and run a group real quick. Throw up, so throw up some questions. This is what what he loves to do. He's always like, throw up some questions on the board and just get a group going. So I actually have a group that I do with that. That ironically. Is another acronym. That's when I, I do an ACT group there. Good old acceptance okay. commitment there because that's what he loves. But anyways, the ABCs is a way of break. And this is a, a DBT exercise where you break down certain actions to, to kind of analyze it, right? So it's called ABC. So it's what A stands for is action. Mm-hmm. B stands for the belief. And C stands for a consequence. Right. So what we do is you take a certain, any type of a situation and you figure out, okay, you stop, you take a break, you figure out, all right, what is the action that is going on? B, what's the belief 
that that action caused and created and then see what is the consequence of you believing that belief. And this is like a process of being able to go through. I can tell you how that works. Tell me. In our truth. A, you're, the action is you're asking me to go to a group and it's pissing me off. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the act- I don't want to go to group. I'm asking you to go to group. B the is the belief that you're trying to get me to talk about shit that I don't want to talk <laughs> about and you're going to judge me and you're going to tell me what to do. And C is the consequence and the consequences you are not going to put me on a behavior contract <laughs> because you're client-centered. Okay. So you know what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to take you <laughs> to a little... We're, we're gonna How do you like just, them apples? Uh, we're, that because of that, because you're showing me a little resistance, what we're going to do, Lee, is I'm going to walk you through uh, a mindfulness technique well, to wait work a through this ambivalence. Isn't in the counselor's, uh, in the addiction counselor's manual, doesn't it say, isn't there, aren't there exercises in rolling with resistance? Aren't you supposed to roll with resistance in the initial stages of change? So that would be, that is a key po- Here's the deal. Fucking motivational interviewing isn't enough sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you need a swift kick in the ass. All right. Yeah. So, but yes. You, uh, so, what kind of role play are we doing here? We got a role. Going down in the dungeon? Is that what's going on? <laughs> am I going to get a cat of nine tails, or are we going to play nice? With this feather por- duster. This portion of the Don't Die Sacramento podcast is rated seventeen and above. Going to the bondage room, the emotional bondage room. No, I mean honestly, what I like to do is. Have you ever heard of Rain? R A I. I know what you like to do. <laughs> I know all about you, but no, go ahead, tell me. <laughs> I'm sorry. As we're doing this, I keep seeing. Uh, Bob Forrest is blowing up my iChat with messages about a beautiful boy movie. He is just fucking... Oh, you set him off. He is steamed and pissed. Well, let's live chat talk about it. So let, let's <laughs> let's tangent. Let's tangent. Let's do it. Should we should we go with where what Bob said? Yeah. No one listens. To let's talk about it. Anyways. Let's talk about it live. We we so we played the beautiful. Uh, uh, somebody put on the beautiful boy movie. Um, and uh, for uh, our clients today at the at the treatment center, and they were well, it elicited a an emotional response from them, which I think was the intention. But what did that? Well, what was the consequence? Throw go. Let's go through the ABCs of that. Okay, the ABC. What was the situation? Sorry, I was reading Bob's text. The having the clients watch uh, that movie. Beautiful oh my Boy. god, they fucking loved it. So the action was the clients watched the Beautiful Boy movie today in group. The belief was that they were all fucked up people and they'd hurt their parents. The consequence is they were all crying behind the house smoking, begging to have some extra phone time to call their families to apologize. And then the question becomes, what is the uh, long-term, short-term or long-term therapeutic value in that? Oh, well, I think that it, it caused them to... so. It's the same same therapeutic value, I would argue, that comes from having, say, music therapy. Uh-huh. Is it gives ex- it it creates expediency and accessibility of getting in touch with your feelings. If I told them yeah. that we were going to have a group where I wanted them to examine the effect that their behaviors have had on their parents, be, or the their loved ones because well, of their use, they wouldn't have gone there. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You you well, and it's interesting because um, I hear uh, God. Is there a fucking podcast that we do where i don't mention uh drew pinsky i don't think there is dr drew pinsky one of my one of my mentors yeah he's always, he's always saying that we experience ourselves through the other and so i'm i'm wondering if maybe uh that was a similar experience like the clients were experiencing themselves through the other of the 
protagonist of sure. of the story and Absolutely. seeing themselves in through that person um, instead of being told like who they are or what they are they were they were seeing themselves through a different set of eyes so to speak oh god and then that allowed them to go oh my god that i'm that i've done that that can be an aha an aha moment i guess for people <laughs> But no, he's saying that he also goes from the concept that he's seen huge shifts in people's recovery where people are stuck, but he encourages people to hang out with people they wouldn't normally hang out with because as addicts, we pick people, we polarize towards people who co-sign our bullshit or people who enable us. Yeah, that's so, absolutely true. And so when we get somebody that we don't normally hang out with, and then they reflect what they see in us back to us. It allows us to have a more authentic, objective um, experience, and we 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 can we can see ourselves through somebody else's eyes and go, oh, okay, maybe that's what I am. Because that's how we learn who we are is by experiencing um, ourselves through others. Our mothers, when we're when we're little toddlers and we we can't even walk yet the mother is looking at us and showing us who we are by mimicking our states and and down regulating up and we're looking at that we look at that and go oh that's me that's me so we experience ourselves through through the other like like a lot of times when um, even when we talk to each other and come for advice I'll be like yeah I can't see it what's going on I feel this way I feel that way and then you'll go, Lee, don't you see you're this and that? And da, da, da. Cause I'm like, what do you see? Cause I don't see it No. And then, and then a lot of times you'll give me feedback about myself or vice versa, you know, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And we do this as human beings with each other where we can say, well, no, you don't, you see, you have this value and that value and, and this capability and that capability and whatever. And then it allows us to sort of have a different, um, view of ourselves, hopefully. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. All right. So it what's does. good is Bob. Are you how is is so Bob? <laughs> well, that's sorry. good. Well, that was that was a sweet moment there. It's a sweet don't die moment. That was that was a hell of a recovery moment. No, Bob's fucking steaming pissed. It's it's is blowing. He, is he mad because you uh, uh, that you he thought you're endorsing this movie? Or I love it. It's great to have countering opinions. Like he's he seems to have some insight as to the actors and some personal experiences with some of the people that are involved in this movie and that were negative experiences. So then the question is, can some good come from, you know, you know, L. Ron Hubbard was a kooky cokehead, but Scientology <laughs> has helped some people by, you know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, yeah. sometimes wacky people that maybe aren't coming from a great place or even a sane place can somehow in a weird way create something that benefits people. We'll take it back to what is but what did Bob say? Two hundred mentally ill people. Oh, I love that I can't remember which Don't Die uh podcast is uh Bob's Don't Die podcast. He's talking about how we need a revolution because of the and or we need to change the way we think and snap out of this this mode we're in in America and wake up and you know and um 
he was saying how the last time this happened, last time we had a revolution was uh, um, in America was the punk rock revolution. <laughs> and he's all a chuck. He goes, those people were all mentally ill, man. <laughs> he goes, 200 mentally ill people changed the world, man. And that was punk rock. And uh, he, I thought about it. And he's like, yeah, he had a point. Those guys were all, those guys were kind of fucked up. They were outsiders. They were... You know, drug addicts, alcoholics, some of them were sober, uh, misfits, and uh, a very small um, group of people were able to impact um, a large number of people. And it all started with, uh, it's great how I I heard uh, one of my punk rock heroes, uh, I don't know if he wants, I wouldn't call him even punk rock, he wouldn't like that, Uh, Spike Slauson from the Gimme says, you Mm. know what? He's like, punk rock. He's like, fuck punk rock. Everybody says punk rock. And he's like, I like what I like. And he's talking about different music that he likes. And it's not that he doesn't like punk bands. He likes some punk bands. But he's all, you know, this fucking, to think that, you know, fucking garbage strikes over on the other side of the world, you know, this whole movement had like the sustaining influence on people. It's just bullshit. Like, that were uh, and he was pissed off. I think at calling out the conformity of it, of how you had to look a certain way, you had to have like spiked hair, you had to wear Chuck Taylors, or you had to wear like spiked jewelry, or you weren't you weren't punk rock. You know, if you had long hair, you couldn't be punk rock. And he never like subscribed to that because that kind of that actually punk rock really at its core is all about being an outspoken individual. Which is ironic that people then subscribe into some set of ideals and rules. Something in human nature that wants to be, we want acceptance and validation. And we want to be seen as different. So we'll all, like those fuckers in that AA meeting wearing suits. Uh. We're all going to, we're AA, but we're different. We're going to wear, we're going to show you we're different. We're going to wear suits. Exactly. So now they're they're creating their own. We're going to go jerk off to our new god. His name's Clarence, and he runs... If you want some real twisted stuff, go on uh, go on the site The Fix or go anywhere and do a little research on it's called the Pacific Group. There's this guy named Clarence. I I actually saw him speak once here in Sac. People showed up as if this guy was Jesus Christ himself. He's been sober for like 50 years. Apparently he used to hang out and drink with Bob. Did, not did our Bob, but Bob Bob, like you know, Bill tell, W and Doctor Bob. I'll tell you what's punk, punk rock. I'd like to see Bob Forrest show up to their meeting and drink. Well, not now because he's got twenty three years sober. Congratulations, Bob. Um, but when he's show <laughs> up, and drink, a, drink a six pack of beer. I'd like to see somebody show up, and drink a six pack of beer, and see if they throw him out. See how much compassion you have. Then what's what's going on? Does he know that you're we're, we're podcasting right now? No, reading I, his comments live. No, I should be reading his, well, comments, live. Reading his comments live. So, what, what this is what Bob just wrote. He's like, "No one cares about the millions of sad, miserable people addicted to Suboxone." Now, Trexone is just the cure they're talking about, but let's just throw a splash of fucking heroin in there to make people like it. And he's he's ri- I can't read some of the stuff he's writing. Oh, he's saying about that that uh, Suboxone is now Trexone with a little heroin in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. He's really, really, really upset. He's ripping about the father from a beautiful boy. I guess he's talking about stuff that if I posted on here, we'd probably get sued. Well, that's all right. I'm <laughs> glad. Um, I mean, I think it's really cool that he's that he's uh, sharing his opinion and giving some insight. Uh, you know, he's a passionate. That's what uh, Adam Carolla always says about Dr. Drew. He's a passionate man. 
So is Bob. It's one of the reasons why we like him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. No one cares. Remember, I'm using words like always and never in clinical, well, it's not really, cl- but, yeah, in a clinical context. is So and no one cares. No, people care. Maybe not enough. Not enough people. I, I think what he's saying is not enough people care and people don't even fucking know a lot of people don't know what this shit even is or does they don't they just with doctors they got physicians who know nothing about addiction uh prescribing things like suboxone or you know fuck fuck suboxone what about adamant i had a client leave i had a client leave treatment go to the emergency room last week from rehab the i talked to the physician we filled she filled out a release of information said i want you to talk to my counselor and the physician said, well, the client here can't sleep, so I'm going to write her a prescription for benzodiazepines. I'm going to give her Ativan. This is the craziest part. And then the, the doctor te- writes her a script for one milligram Ativans, and then the client comes to me and says, oh, yeah, the doctor told me to take four. She said that if I take four, I'll be able to sleep. What yeah. the fuck? What? So here's the thing. I think the client was lying. But what doc? the you doctor think? is giving a script for benzos to someone who's without, in treatment without having any information on how much or what medication she took that day. No, no She's clue. She's under another doctor's care. Uh, under another doctor's care in a 24-hour medically managed fucking facility. Oh, here, let me just give you a script for some benzos. Yeah, that's that's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, well, you know, here, don't I Sacramento? Our Hippocratic Oath is a little bit different. Our Hippocratic Oath at Don't I Sacramento is no harm. No foul. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, and with that, I think we're going to wrap it up for the night. Let's do it. All right, guys. So a simple message from me. Don't die before you figure out the solution. Here, here. All right, right on, guys. Hey, thanks for coming. Uh, If you have any questions, shoot us an email at don'tdiesack at gmail.com. That is don'tdiesack at gmail.com. Keep your eyes and ears posted. Uh, we will have some cool shit coming for you soon. If you'd like to uh, misquote some statistics or provide us with any unsolicited uh, clinical advice, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, also on Twitter, right? At, at Rehab Tech Lee. Is that sure, it? Sure, yeah. And then uh, at, or at Don't Die Sack. All right, guys, later. <laughs>